I'm recording, by the way. Made sure to get all that on thing. Thankfully, I was not. So you can justify not having any of that. I'll just have a special separate podcast just for that. Let me know when you are recording. God, do you think it podcasts it's nothing but just like hacking coughs, like people saying like a million times? Like, do you think that would have play? Just all the stuff I edit out from our other podcasts. God, I mean, I wouldn't subscribe to it, but I would listen to one episode. It'd just be like humming background noises, just coughs, like uh, and uh, saying and so, and then a couple just very violent racial tirades from you, Sam, that I usually cut out. <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Welcome to Brokazatsu, Two Brothers Exploration of Tokusatsu Shows and Related Media. My name's Sam. And I'm Harry. And I would like to apologize to all of the people that I'm seeing who don't seem to be enjoying Kamen Rider Zero One as much as I am. Like I, maybe this is a matter of standards, and I know that like I I think Sam and also me to some extent were really excited about the premise and but I was and some people seem to be chafing at the current storyline and like the way it's progressing. Uh, how the plot isn't moving forward too much, but, like, I've seen a lot of Toku, and this is, it's not terrible by those standards, and I'm, I also really liked this episode. Yeah, see, the thing is, Harry, I think, and we'll get into this more in the episode, I do think there are some valid complaints to be having about the current storyline, but I also think that the writers realize that, because, as we'll see this episode, there's some very serious course correction going on. Yeah, like, this uh, this felt like the best parts of Coming to Rider Double. Like, a, it, like it, this episode went full-on silly, uh, and it uh, <laughs> I feel like it succeeded in that. Like, it, it's been kind of dour for a while. It's all about, you know, extinction and race wars and evil CEOs and stuff like that. And this one, it was like, hey, let's... Let's have a matchmaking romance thing between just some of the worst people, and, like, it's everyone involved knows it. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, that's, it's a wonderfully silly concept. Uh, it's, it's almost, I will say, it's almost silly to the point of taking some of the tension out of, like, the overarching plot. But, but they really, we really fucking needed this breather. Like, do you remember when, uh, like, we were watching uh, Super Sentai uh, Gokaiger, and there was the episode where I'm was a freaky anime nurse just, like, teleporting between scenes and just living out every fantasy, and I had, it was almost like we were dropping acid in that episode. Yeah. And I complained about it at the time, but you know what? God bless that show, and God bless this episode. We needed the break. Yeah, I mean, Lord knows things are going to get grim, because, I mean, the, the way this plot is going, it seems like it's going to be real rough towards the end. But, like, right now, uh, as it starts, uh, Aruto, he's at his desk and trying a bunch of his progress keys, but whatever the metal cluster hopper key did, it's the only one that's working right now. So that's his only offensive option. Yeah, and that's, well, I mean, this raises a couple questions, and... If you're not thinking about it too hard, you kind of breeze past it, but I kind of got to ask, Gary, what, why don't they just make another belt? 
They did 3D print the belt. They 3D printed the belts, like, in in 30 seconds in the first episode. And the 3D printer is downstairs, and it's it seems like they should have a second? Like, it, and there's lots of weird stuff going in, going on with, like, connections to various satellites. Like, the his Shining Assault Hopper mode does explicitly connect to both the good and the evil satellites. So, I mean, there could be an explanation, and, like, this is... I think this is a thing to note and say, like, this doesn't make sense, but it doesn't ruin it for me, and we can just move on. Yeah, they breeze past it. Uh, they breeze past it pretty fast, too. Like, it's... They didn't really need that much of an explanation here. Let's assume that behind the scenes, like, we'll fandom in, like, a further explanation, and we could just move on. And so, all that Aruto has at the moment is the metal uh, key that kills him every time he, he uses it. Well, not not him. It kills everybody else is the problem. It also seems like people have to rip it out of him before his body dissolves. Well, uh, but when when Fu takes it off, he seems to be mostly fine. Like the the threat here is that it's dangerous to everybody else. Uh, speaking of dangerous to everybody else, hey, the girlfriend from the previous episode is here, and <laughs> okay, that relationship didn't work out. Like I know the boyfriend got exaggerated, but like he. She accused him of major fraud, and he almost went to jail and stuff, so she she's look, she's back on the market. Like, they had a moment at the end of the last episode where they looked at each other, they smiled and nodded, uh, but they are now out of each other's lives, and probably for the best, let's be honest. Yeah, that was more parting on good terms, and Aruto really isn't sure if he gets it, and Izu turns to it and says, yeah, this is above your head, like, you're not good at relationships. <laughs> Well, I mean, he's not good at romantic relationships. Like, his re- his relationships with people, with Izu, are great. Yeah. I, I think Aruto, he's up there with Emu from X-Aid for, like, the least... Yeah, as yet, he is a non-sexual creature. Straight up, if he was ace, I would believe it. Like, I'm sure in a couple episodes they'll throw, like, the, the love interest episode as a one-off, but, uh, whatever. He's ace. Great. We'll move on. Ebby, which is the, I'll just say the girlfriend, because whatever, you're not going to remember her name. Nope. But she was impressed with the human gear lawyer, Bingo, so, hey, do they have a matchmaker human gear that could match her up? And they do, whose name is Match. There is a marriage consultant human gear, and they meet. And uh, the VP, who hasn't been to the last few episodes, he's almost uh, he's also there for a quick comedy beat. Uh, he is there to uh, also find a bride, is that correct? Well, he's kind of watching over, because... The corporate takeover is still happening. Like, I, I assume he's kind of magic stuff in the background because he doesn't want to be around all these monster attacks and stuff. But it's also, but Chesta does pipe in and say, also, the vice president is single and his little toady is divorced. So they're, they're looking for some bearings here. It's like the men's hair club. They're not just the owners, they're clients, too. I dig that. They go, they meet uh, the specialist matchmaker, Huma Gear, Match, who is also uh, Go Buster Blue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, I think that the girlfriend, I I didn't recognize her because she was really young in uh, GoBusters, but I think apparently she's GoBuster Yellow. So this, is, this is almost like a reunion for some of the cast. Yeah, I saw that floating around a few Toku groups, and that's great. I love that. I love it when they do that. Extended Toku family. So Match, he makes matches based on personal data. She brings up her phone and they do the data syncing thing. And he mm-hmm. says, all right, she's having trouble trusting people. He says, yeah, uh... <laughs> You're on 14 fortune-telling fortune, fortune sites, and you tend to only pay attention to fortunes that reaffirm your own desires. Uh, you could be oblivious to reality, and you're weak to sweet talk. 
and she says, hey, hey that's rude. And, and Matt just leads in, finding a partner isn't about pursuing the impossible, it's about practical, achievable happiness. You'll never find a partner if you continue to ignore reality, Mrs. Ebby. I like this human gear. I like this human gear a lot. It's funny how the matchmaker human gear by far has the lowest opinion of humanity so far. <laughs> uh, and hey, he runs the numbers, and he comes up with a perfect match. Best Everyone match. is happy. Yes. They go to meet him. And Harry, who is it? It's fucking Guy. <laughs> yeah, Aruto and Guy are both very surprised to see each other there. Uh, Aruto is surprised that he would use Match in his services, and Guy pipes up, or Jack says, Oh, no, 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 I I didn't use a human gear, but I am subscribed to some matchmaking services, because in some situations an AI does work better, you know? By the way, it, I don't think we mentioned this up top. That contest going on between uh, Aruto and Jack, it is not mentioned at all this episode because the writers were sick of it too. Well, they're kind of between contests and stuff. Yua is there, first of all. It's a really weird meeting because not only is the weird internet matchmaker there along with the woman, also a major CEO and his robot assistant are hiding in another room, and the other date brought his attractive young female assistant. Like, it's... It's weird. Not just that, his young female assistant who is coached to say specific lines. Yua, and just the most dead delivery. His employees believe him to be a superb leader. And it's an honor to work with him. He he got an MBA from Stanford University in America. He founded Thousand Network while he was a student, and now he's the president of Japan. He's great. Aruto, he leads in. Did Guy write that for you? And Yua... You were basically rolls her eyes. The matchmaker bot, he explains why they are a perfect match to each other, and I wrote this down verbatim, so Harry, I'm just going to read this out loud. They actually complement each other nicely. President Amatsu is a self-absorbed, arrogant narcissist, a man who never minces words. He's extremely selective in his choices, which causes cataclysmic issues when finding a match. <laughs> and I should mention, during this whole thing, you it's in the background kind of cackling, suppressing laughter. <laughs> She is just dying. God, I hate how they've been using Yua the past few episodes, and so do the writers, so they wrote this in. This is a very good Yua episode. She's kind of coming more and more to terms with the fact that he is evil and probably not on the right side of things, so she's really having fun with him being taken down a peg. Like, Jack is pissed. He leaves the meeting after the uh, human gear insulted him. And then a, a raid gear shows up. And Yua immediately says, oh, I'll take care of this, sir, because she's been bored and needs some action. So she slops on the belt and starts fighting. Oh, thank God. Like, it's been so long since we saw this. Like, this is like the really fast, really precise martial artist that we saw the first uh, part of the series. I've been missing this so much, Harry. Yeah, she, like she starts the fight with basically a charging tackle that flips over the dude. And it, it's a penguin, my gear, by the way. Very adorable. <laughs> She's not losing or anything, because she's super agile, she's kind of dancing around, but she's not really getting inconclusive hits. So, uh, Aruto decides, I'm gonna try out that, uh, that new thing. Aruto goes metal, and he loses his target. Like, he goes after Yua instead of the, instead of the raid gear, and the baddie gets away as a result. Uh, Fuo shows up, hint hint, almost like the guy got his belt from him a moment ago. He was very nearby. Yes, thankfully. He's there to pull the key, or, uh, no, to distract him. Well, Yua grabs the key and pulls it out. Fuo grabs Aruto, shouting, like, hey, 
what the hell's your problem? Can't you even tell who's on your side? And Arto is sad because he really wanted to try and control it. That's a little bit of a downbeat moment. Jack, he just like twists the knife a little bit as he's leaving the scene. Arto's just shouting after him like, what the hell did you do to my driver? Fua, he goes to his, you know, Hannibal Lecter in a can, Hirobi. And I've heard, I saw someone on, on Twitter saying, like, they need to put on, like, just a TV with some anime or something for Hirobi. He, he's really not in a great place. <laughs> I guess he doesn't have human rights because, you know, human, but still, though. It's true. It's true. And maybe he does. You know, we only really hang out with Hirobi when he is being interviewed by Fua. So maybe his, like, permanent holding cell has, like, an entertainment center. Maybe he watches Sesame Street all day to, like, turn him to the side of good. And he does have front row seats to the Fuwa show of him being slowly taken over by one of his evil comrades. That, like, I, I mentioned it to some dudes on forums, and even they were like, oh, yeah, that's probably what's happening. And he says, like, yeah, Jack is using the Ark for his own purposes, but he's underestimated how wrathful the Ark can be. Wink. Oh, on the subject of uh, Jack, like there was another mention back when he was meeting the uh, potential bride for the first time, how he is permanently 25 or tw- permanently 22 years old. <sighs> Harry, is that just going to be a joke or is he going to be a human gear? I maintain that he's just naturally handsome and or rich and has, you know, plastic surgery and stuff. We have the we have the standing bet where you think he's a human gear and I think he's human. Human gear or at the very least a brain in a human gear body. We'll see. I don't have any spoiler info to influence that one way or another. But Aruto, he just thinks that, you know, if we have the data that they used to convince the Ark that humanity is evil, maybe we can figure out a way to make it good again. And th- Sam, did you ever see the Street Fighter movie? Uh, no. All right. You should see it. It's better than you think. Uh, also, Raul Julia is a delight. Mm-hmm. Every moment he's on the screen is beautiful. But there's a point in the movie when Blanca, like, a dude is being turned into Blanca, like, a genetically altered soldier. And he's being programmed to be evil. And, like, there's basically a a console to the side that has, like, a good switch and a bad switch. And it's set to bad (laughs) for a while. It's just, like, bobs and wars and, like, angry people going on. And then, at one point, a character goes up and's like, alright, I need to change this. And he sets it to good. And then it's just, like trees and there's like a wedding or ceremony and it's just very and i think dolphins laughing and it's just <laughs> very and this scene made me think of like what's the evil data like what what are they showing how many episodes of mr rogers would it take to turn the arc good again harry i don't know uh but yeah at this point in the episode we are introduced with the person who is the raid writer it is a comedically fat guy uh complete with food stained clothes thank you toku I mean, in real life, he'd just be an average dude, but but because it's, you know, TV and everybody else is super thin and attractive, he does kind of stand out. Yeah. He's gone to the CEO of this major corporation, just kind of wandered in, and is going to yell at him. Yep, he is angry that they're using a, a match bot to uh, find his longtime friend uh, a match. He is the perfect man. He doesn't... I don't think he explicitly says that. I mean, it, it's clear he's got... He really likes her and stuff like that. And he mm-hmm. says, yeah, all, all she talks about is that match guy. She she keeps going to his agency every day. She's bubbing rides for me. <laughs> so he is very angry at what's going on. And uh, as he leaves the appointment, uh, Match, he kind of turns to Aratu and he says, uh, yeah, he he's the monster. Like, I, I study movements and his movements were identical to the monsters. Aratu is a little surprised because usually they don't figure it out this early. And he's like, where, where do we go from here? Do we need do we need proof? So Match has an idea. 
they're going to stage a fake wedding. Mm-hmm. I think there's a fake wedding in every Toku series I've seen. Except for Double, which had the actual one in, like, the first episode. Well, we finally got to the fake wedding uh, episode. And it's it's kind of a shittily put together fake wedding. Yeah, it's. I have no idea why the guy thought this was real. Because um, it's just a big, empty... A big empty church. It's not even the the nice church that they rent out usually for these Toku things. It's like a smaller, almost office building or something. Was this the same church uh, that they had at the start of Common Rider Double? No, that 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 was a nice big room. I, that's what I'm saying. Like this one, it's small. It's almost like it's almost like they just put some benches in the commissary of uh, the the studio because it's it's small and tiny. It's being presided over by Hibigir Priest, which. For a couple minutes, Sam, I was just paralyzed at my screen at my computer writing notes and being like, the implications! The implications! I know, me too! The implications! I thought that human gears canonically didn't have souls. Like, how would a church be okay with a human gear priest? But then again, I was thinking, like, wait, one of the most famous, like, mechanical things ever was the mechanical priest of, like, the 14th or 15th century, right? Can human gears, like, give communion? Can human gears receive communion? Do, (laughs) Do they need to be baptized? Like, do they need to be baptized again after they're destroyed, but then restored from the data? Lots of questions. Uh, can you find, like, uh, can you find a picture of, like, the the ancient mechanical priest and have that be, like, the episode cover this week? I'll look for it and think about it. I mean, I had some other ideas for episode cover, largely from Guy, more characters saying, this doesn't make sense. But anyways, um, I, I may do that. Yeah, because it's, it's a perfect, like, it's both the worst possible priest and the best possible priest. It has no soul, therefore it has no sin. It could just focus entirely on devotions to God. But it also has no soul! Alright, I'm googling it, I'm getting a weird thing from South Germany in the 1500s, and also Hearthstone cards. So, society. <laughs> so, as soon as I end pause the video, Arato leaned in and said, like, Oh, yeah, that's the human gear actor, NG. And I guess they got him because they wanted to be convincing. So, those are those are the five people. Those are the five people in the ser- or no, a six. There is uh, Aruto and Izu. There's the two people getting fake married, Match and the bride from the previous episode, the Hibigir priest, and the fat guy. That is it. The rest of the place is empty. He doesn't think that this is suspicious at all. Nope. The ceremony just goes on. They exchange vows, and the guy storms out angrily. As he steps out of the church, he awkwardly pulls out the Raid Riser belt, because, yeah, I mean, it, it's not a secret. Yeah, every, everyone knows. <laughs> and then, so, back in the ceremony, the human gear, now that the subject has left, it says, okay, alright, so let, let's shut this down, I'm not actually gonna kiss you, that would be kind of out of line. But, the girl? The girlfriend? This whole episode has kind of been crushing on Match more and more. Yeah, she's down to marry this guy. She straight up wants to marry this human gear. Everyone objects. Aruto objects. Match objects. The priest objects, despite the fact he has no soul. I mean, it's starting to make a little more sense how a guy sent her a text message saying, "Hey, we need more money uh, for the ceremony," and she just dropped fifty grand on it or something. Thirty million yen, or possibly three million yen. I think I think it was three million. I don't think the zero matters there, with or without. The point is, she's really ready to just do the ceremony again. They're gonna do it right now, and Match <laughs> says, "All right." Even if I was a human, I don't really think I'd be into you. The girl, she's pushing, she's pushing, and Match is pushing back and pushing back. Everyone is getting a little awkward, and then Match says, Well, you know what? I gotta say the most awful thing I could possibly say. (laughs) And Isu (laughs) freaks out. And then we have a fun flashback where Match turns to Isu and says, Hey, just in theory, if I needed to make a human 
really hate me and not want to date me. Like, I need something to put in my back pocket. So what's the most vile thing I could say to a person? Mm-hmm. And Izu is, like, back in the present. She's freaking out, like, oh, no, oh, no. So the next little bit is a lot of bleeping. A whole lot of bleeping and a whole lot of stunned silence from the people in the church. Yeah. I love this. I love every minute of this. Yeah. And then Aruto, he says, who taught him that language? And Izu's like, oh, I'm sorry, sir. I taught him swears. Uh, remember, <laughs> so, so I remember that time you took me to the backyard and slapped me until I started swearing. Yes, I made you a better person. Mm, real story. Yeah. Uh, well, she she gets angry, says that's over the line, and slaps him. And maybe it's a sign of his low pit of humanity that he immediately is like, all right, destroy humanity. Turn to back here. Well, okay. We'll get into this in a sec. Or actually, no, we'll get into this right now. He turns into a frog. Was this a part of the plan? Maybe. Like, he turns into a frog, and he's kind of attacking, like, a little bit, but then the other guy had transformed into the raid Magir, and now he comes back in, and now they start fighting each other. Yeah, and he's, like, defending humans. <laughs> so we have two monsters, two different flavors of monsters, and this is the lowest stakes that has ever been. They've, they're fighting each other, they're pulling each other out of the church, and everyone's just kind of watching. At a certain point, Aruto and the guy, like, guy shows up. Uh, Aruto, they transform, and they Jack, start fighting. We, we had the whole thing where he came up with a new name. And I know, like, I know, I know. Uh, Jack shows up, Aruto and him start fighting. They stop, like, the the two monsters, they stop fighting to watch the two common Riders fight. They're just, like, hanging out. It is pretty crazy. Like, I, I was going to have a theory of maybe Matt just intentionally doing the thing so the person could... Seem more impressive to the girlfriend. And it works! Aruto, it's a little crazy that he decided to use the insane nanomachine swarm power-up right now, but I guess this is kind of a low-stake situation for him to practice it. <laughs> he starts doing lots of shit. Like, he's very strong, no selling a lot of attacks. Jack wants to do his best against this thing, and attacking so Aruto will harden with the nanomachines, and then he, like, uses that as a platform to jump over and do more attacks, and it's... You won't understand this reference, but he's basically doing Gara tricks, like where he's like got swarms of locusts around him that are just hardening and creating clones of himself. Like he does a finisher to to take out both the Magir and the the Raid Rider mm-hmm. by sending out nanomachine swarms that coalesce into copies of himself and both deliver their own finisher kicks. As the Raid Monster uh, detransforms into the fat guy, uh, the Bride kneels down. Uh, pulls him into her arms, says that she has loved him all along. As the as the Heber gear dies, he points to the sky. Best match. It was it was all a part of the plan, Harry. Yeah, he explodes into a heart. There were no true monsters in this episode, except for Jack. He's still a monster. Yeah, he's still just an asshole. And he shouts some stuff about how grasshoppers are known to swarm and devastate crops and then cannibalize their own. They're vile creatures, and now zero one reflects that nature. And Aruto is just yelling at the end. And I thought this was just going to be one-off. But looking at the preview for next episode, I, I think that his berserk key keeps going and maybe he actually starts attacking people in the vicinity. So maybe, maybe the stakes are going to start raising. Like, as far as the as far as far the wedding uh, thing is good, uh, concerned, I think this episode resolves it entirely. So we're probably not going to see this girl or the guy again, like, in that until, you know, the very end of the series when we see that they're happily married. Uh, but... Yeah, next episode is Jack versus uh, Aruto. I'm sure Fua and uh, Yua will get involved, and it's it's fun. 
Like, this was a very fun episode. I like some of the stuff they're doing with Guy, but they, they did need to lighten it a bit for this one, and they, they did it, and I'm glad, and they're clearly moving along to a specified point in the plot, and they were, they, they, they took a bit of a detour here, and I'm fine with that. Like, and there's even also, I, I see some people mostly on, like, the Facebook group comments that you, that you look at, Sam, because you don't want to download episodes, and there's <laughs> a lot of, there's a lot of people who are saying, like, man, it's weird. Jack, in the first episode, he was angry at the guy that was cheating, but then on the other ones, he was fine that they were cheating. And I, he's like a hypocritical asshole who, he was angry he got caught that first time. And also, he's just, he's an insane rich jerk. Like, I don't know, he's an effective villain, and he's getting beaten up more and more. He's not a threat at the moment. Aruto can just straight up defeat him with this metal form, uh, but he also can't really control it. So it's, I don't know, we're at, we're at a strange point. A very strange point. And I am looking forward to next week to see how this plays out. It's a fun show. There's lots of hope. There's there's good ways this plotline could go, and I am and I'm relatively confident that the show it you know, you never you're never certain. Knock on wood. Uh Writer shows, some of them end like dog shit. I'd like to think this will Speaking won't. of Gaim. Oh yeah, speaking of speaking of ending like dog shit, let's let's begin Gaim. Yeah, so we go from a nice, fun, happy episode to just a couple episodes of slog. We start uh, these episodes of Guy. Uh, Harry, what are the numbers? 39 and 40. We start 39. Everyone is in the Grease Lightning Garage, and everyone is bummed. Uh, Coda, he just punches the wall, and he wants to charge the castle uh, using Waring's Tuttle. Uh, Kaito, uh, he just kind of stands up, and he says, no, I got a better plan. You do that, and everyone else is going to rescue everyone. <laughs> Kota is still saying that he doesn't have time to wait around. He's going to trust the extremely untrustworthy evil scientist because if they wait longer, Michi is going to get even crazier. Kaito Kaito points out that he should straight up abandon Michi by this point. He is gone. But anyway, if Kota does this hero thing, then that'll be a distraction, and then they can just go in and save Mai. Like, Kaito, he really wants to save Mai because they're good friends. And it's his one, like, it's the one plot thread that he can just hold on to. Everyone else can see the big picture. No, not Coda. Zack stands up. He's like, hey, I'm not doomed to die. Uh, I'm going to go to, like, I, I can't just sit around here. Bravo and uh, Acorn, they stand up. They agree to go. Peach agrees to go. It's a, yay, everyone's together. We're not just charging into doom. Like, most of us will live through this. Most of them did not live through this. I'm still not sure about Bravo. Like, I know Zack is doomed. I know Peach is doomed. Uh, Bravo might be doomed. Or maybe he's just, like, you know, super beat up and, like, crippled or something. But, hey, who knows? Well, we'll see. So, cut immediately to Mai sitting very awkwardly in the giant office that Michi's squatting in. He He's sitting at the same desk his brother did and kind of sipping tea while looking. He, he's looking sneakily at the girl he really likes that he's brought humanity to its knees to maybe questionably save. Also, he did, like, the super creepy, like, villain thing where... Uh, she's in a very new white dress, and yeah, she did not have that before, so he picked this out directly for her. She she says, hey, what are you gonna do with me? 
Michi says, oh, nothing. Just stay here with me at my side. Mai just shouts at him to cut it out. Like, go back to the other Michi. I liked him more. He's doing an awful job uh, convincing her to go along with him. And that's before Ghost Takatora shows up and he starts screaming at the room. She thinks this plot is crazy. And then he says, it's fine. You're not, you're going to understand eventually. And Ghost Takatora shows up and says, she won't understand. No one will ever understand you ever. And Michi starts shouting at him and like throwing things. And Mai just kind of starts staring and being like, oh boy, this is... This is a bigger deal than I thought. Yep. Jumping uh, to the outside, uh, we see Professor Waring. He is leading the group of uh, mostly stupid heroes who are going to their doom. And uh, they're going towards a secret entrance to the tower outside of town. They get to the the, uh, point where the military used to be, kind of quarantining the city, and it's abandoned. Professor Rima has to say, oh no, like, their priorities have shifted. There's millions of invests attacking all over the world, so they're kind of just holding onto their own regions like we're not important in anymore yeah warren kind of goes on a little bit of a verbal trip here going through the history of his actions and the actions of the other side and he eventually lands at the conclusion that yes he is causing the destruction of the world whoopsie yeah miss minato it's all my fault hey <laughs> like his mask is fully off and he's enjoying it i know i know he's like he's like michi michi doesn't really michi still thinks he's the hero Warring never did. Warring is just owning and loving being the villain. Warring is a very different character from Michi. Like, Warring is Warring's more of a Kaito, honestly. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's like, uh, the actual person who can actually see the big picture is uh, clever, has like his own plots, and his own agency. They're talking about, if we retake the tower, maybe we can stop some of this. But Warring points out, uh, that overlord Reju, he took over the airwaves... But if he had the ability to just teleport missiles around, why is he having so much trouble taking you out, Kota? There's another overlord out there that is, like, kind of complicating the whole situation. Uh, Kaito is the one who uh, says that out loud. Of course, Kota would not realize that. So, uh, we jump downstairs. Uh, Michi is hanging out with Greeny in the room full of all the victims slowly being drained of life. And by slowly being drained of life, I mean, we're, what, 12 episodes in? How long have they been strapped to this machine, Harry? They've been here for, like, four or five episodes, but it's confirmed, I think, in episode 40 that all of this arc is over the course of a day or two. Jesus. It's really just a bad week. There is a week where on Monday, you know... On Monday, America launches nuclear missiles at Japan and is destroyed, and then monsters attack everyone. Yeah, and not to spoil much, but by Sunday, weird stuff happens, and it's mostly resolved. Uh, Greeny, uh, Greeny mentions to Michi, hey, uh, these are two of your friends who were trying to break people out, so I'm sorry, I know you wanted your friends not to be hooked up to the death machine. Uh, but then Michi just shakes his head, nah, it's cool, they didn't do what I said, so go ahead, drain their life. Yeah, it's it's Rad and Rika, like the the two other other members of Team Guy. Uh, and Reggie points out, okay, so you really should have killed Kota when he had a chance. Because he does have a shard of the fruit of knowledge, like the thing that turns you into a god. So, I, I have a plan. You got that girl that everybody likes for, you know, whatever reason. Uh, maybe use her as, like, some kind of bait in a trap? Michi doesn't like that. No. He says if you ever uh, threaten Mai again, threaten to put her on the line, we are through. And Reggie says, oh, just kidding, man. Just just joshing you. Okay. Uh, so, we jump back down to the good guy truck. Uh, they're headed towards the secret entrance, and uh, they're jumped by a massive swarm of Inves. 
Like, this is very much a late series, like, uh, all the monster costumes all at once. Yep, there's hundreds of them. So they hop out, everybody starts fighting, except for Professor Waring, who's kind of standing back with the camcorder and saying, oh man, this is great data, I... You rarely see big engagements like this. I'm going to get so much cool stuff from this. Yes, there's a bit of fighting before uh, Bravo and Acorn. Uh, they say that they will stay behind and clear a path for the truck. They're doing their heroic sacrifice thing. So I do know, I know that Acorn lives because Acorn was in the first episode in the flash forward uh, fighting alongside Kaito. Bravo is not there. All right. I'll point out. So was Takatora. And I've said it over and over. But that weird time-space flash thing, it's don't depend too much on it. I'm depending on it, Harry. I'm a depending on it. Yeah, I mean, I think you'd be mad anyway when we get to it. Of course I will be. They they keep going. Brasio, the big king of the overlords, the sad guy who's lost his wife, he's sad because he's like a double god now. He had he had the fruit that turns into a god and then he got another one and he still can't defridge his damn wife. What's the point of being a god if you can't do this one thing? Michi somehow found the one thing to do more pathetic than that. He is taking the girl he's liked and kidnapped and put him in front of the alien god and says, hey, this is the only part of humanity worth anything. I want you to defend her and, like, judge all of humanity through this girl I secretly like and also am, like, the worst enemy of now. I mean, as far as where Michu's mind is, it's not the worst play. Like, he genuinely believes that Mai is the best of them. And so him saying, like, hey, Judge humanity based off my, I will accept your judgment. Well, Michi also says, when he points out, you trust me with guarding here? Michi says, oh, you're a proud and noble ruler. You won't let harm come to an innocent. And I almost want like a quick cut to the continents being consumed by Invest and like the nuclear strikes that landed. Like I Also the fact, also the fact that he is one of two overlords remaining, or rather, no, three. He's going to be one of two in about five minutes, but at the moment, he is one of three overlords remaining. Eh, that's a bit more complicated than you think because of the plot points you missed earlier. We'll, we'll get to those next episode, but yeah. Like, I was posting angrily on Facebook <laughs> and Twitter. Like, Nate and Daniel K have already seen this, but yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. And then it gets more ridiculous because he walks off and you almost think Mai and Roshio are going to have a bonding moment over... Boy, that kid is nuts. But they have, like, an even dumber conversation. She, she's not as afraid as Rashi expected, and she says, Well, you know, even if someone betrays you, that doesn't mean you shouldn't trust them. Oh my. Oh my. Like, the, the writing of this arc is doing bad things to you, Mai. She still believes in Michi. After, she just wants to know why he's doing these terrible things. She wants to see his point of view. Hey, hey Mai, hey Kota, here's the point of view. Michi is in, like, a fugue state. Like, this is not something you could talk him down from. He's a danger to himself and others. You're not doing him <clears throat> any favors by letting him run around. Harry, is it possible that there's like some kind of translation issue going on that when she says betray and trust, it's like more subtle and nuanced words where like someone could do bad things to you and you could still want the best for them or something like that? I'm going to believe that it's dumb in any language. <sighs> Kota and Mai, they keep hitting this thing of wanting to help Michi. Even if it's painful, stopping him from doing these things would be the, like, you have to punch him, basically lock him in a room, give that boy some therapy, don't let him exterminate more humanity, and feel really bad about it just because you're his friend. So now we bounce to, uh, warring in the remaining heroes. Already, already losing heroes. 
uh, getting to the entrance to the secret lab or the secret entrance to the lab. It's it's almost like there's a situation where they're getting peeled off one by one and then Warring is still hanging out with Kota, the guy with the super upgrades. They show up in the basement and then there's an automated defense system he forgot to mention that he can't turn off right now. So they got to fight it. Oh, Harry, I will. Uh, we zoomed past a little bit of a point. As they are going into the entrance, uh, Waring says something extremely rude about how the two friends behind them are probably already dead. Uh, Kota tries to tackle him, at which Kaito intervenes and stops him. But then Kaito spins and just plants a face punch onto Professor Waring, knocking him down, like breaking his nose, blood everywhere. Next time you intend to be tactless, brace yourself first. Oh, Kaito, our hero. Our hero, Kaito. Also, the writers are fully on board with Kaito being the hero <laughs> at this point. The, the, something to keep in mind, like, Kota was just going to wander off on his own and no one was going to follow him or believe in him. But then Kaito spun the situation, put a good spin on it, and then everyone decided to follow him. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, they're fighting the automated defense systems downstairs. Um, Kota... And Warring, uh, they split off as the rest of the people are dealing with the various, like, melons uh, downstairs. And we get to see a fight uh, where Kota and Warring are going head-to-head with one of the final overlords. Uh, the turtle one from the previous ep. There's a bit of talking in the walk-up, but it's mostly just Kota saying stuff like, Man, it sucks that I gotta work with this really shitty guy. And Warring just has some very cold stuff to say. Like, yeah, some people put a lot of value in their interactions with others. Some don't. I'm just the latter. You know, you let yourself get pulled apart by everybody. Abandon your family, give up on the friend who betrayed you, feel no guilt for the murder of your friend. If you could find the will to be ruthless, you'd be free of all your stress in an instant. <laughs> and everybody keeps pointing out to Kota that he constantly destroys himself for the sake of others. And you think that they're building towards a point. But, like, I've seen to the end of the series, Sam, like, he doesn't develop past this. It's just this. <laughs> There's nowhere to go from here. He's just like, well... Gonna sacrifice. He is so one note. But yeah, they fight the turtle. Uh, Waring has upgraded the shit out of himself. Like he can do holographic uh, versions of him. He could go. Uh, he could go cloaked. Uh, he's you know he's a genuine threat. Yada yada yada. Finalish boss. We'll see. And he makes it clear that like yeah, I've secretly been studying stuff and tuning up the belt because I'm its designer and I'm really good. But hey, Kota, I I need you to finish off the guy before he can call more reinforcements. Like I'm not quite at this level. So Kota transforms, and Waring is standing in the back, scanning Kota while he uses his new powers, and going like, oh yes, oh baby, oh, this is amazing. Let's get to the next step. Uh, at the start of the episode, uh, Kaito, Peach, and Zack, uh, they finish the fight, and they start trying to catch up. Uh, then we find out that uh, Doraemon is going to have to leave the Earth, because they're having, like, goodbye, goodbye Doraemon, the movie. Like, and some of those ads that they just left in the translation for some reason. Kota and Waring, uh, they're rushing uh, through the building, and they find an unknown elevator. They go through, and they find uh, Greeny and the life-sucking machines. Or rather, they find the life-sucking machines first, and they try for a minute to just disable- Or, Kota tries for a minute to get people out and disable it, and he can't figure out. Uh, Waring, of course, is just hanging back and watching everything. It's, it's very important to note, Kota had the run of this room for about a minute. I've just put that out there. Remember that. Remember that specific point. Warring didn't want to turn off the, the machine because he probably wanted to learn, you know, hey, I can suck the life out of people. That's really useful. Reju shows up and he clearly wants to talk with Reju. Like, maybe they, maybe he wants to do a whole another level of villain alliance. But Kota's Kota, so 
they immediately start the fight. Greeny, he's trying to drop wisdom on Kota she- mid-fight. Sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry. Don't worry, you won't need to remember the pronouns for much longer. Hey, uh, uh, Greeny is dropping wisdom on Kota mid-fight, but it's hardly sticking because it's Kota. She uses an attack which puts him in a spirit trance and leaves him completely defenseless uh, for her to go inside his mind and show him visions and allow him to dot 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 make a choice? Because she was talking about some stuff, saying like, hey, the snake has tempted you into quite the power. Are you not suspicious of your newfound strength? I'm willing to bet you haven't been able to eat the food of your world for some time. Which is the thing that, you know, he didn't notice and Sam didn't notice. I mean, I noticed a little bit that he wasn't eating, that he was, you know, never hungry. I was I was talking it up to the belt, though. So is it is it more biological than that? There's a weird dream thing. like, And I'm not sure. The thing about this dream is that it's kind of long and there's lots of stuff in and out. Like, he's... But we don't need to... Let's deal with everything else in the episode and then let's dive into the dream, okay? Okay. My... She's still talking with, uh, with Russo about the fruit thing and how this thing could save the world. And uh, Sagara shows up, the DJ. They're... He's just talking about fate and choice. It's all vague, and it's all, you know what, it's all bullshit. The thing they're kind of getting to is that by accepting this power, you turn into a weird, non-human creature that society is just going to reject as a rule. And I would like to point out that The Shape of Water, a movie about a woman (laughs) falling in love with and making out with the creature from the Black Lagoon, won Best Picture like a a year or two ago. I'm pretty sure... I'm pretty sure at this point, if weird monsters happened, like, there'd be people who were jerks about it, sure, but, like, a big chunk of society would be like, you know what, that's cool. Yes, like, 10% jerks, 80% just shrug their shoulders, 10% wants to fuck them. Yeah. that That's humanity. And, like, also, it's being more and more made clear that, like, alright, the, the the special upgrade, like, the Zenith Arms, the, the, the Grand Shogun, it's turning Kota into an overlord. Straight up. Like, he he's not human anymore. So, uh, going into another scene, we see uh, Kaito, Peach, and Zack. They finally get to the life drainer room. And you know what? Kaito instantly disables it. To be fair, I don't think Kaito cared too much if the people attached died. C- you know, considering that Kota's sister was on there. Like, you know, take your risks. Yes, but the thing is, Kota, the hero of the series, was in this room, could not figure out how to get people out of here. Kaito walks in, looks around once, disables the machine at the center of the room. The the main thing that happens is, I think they're going to split up. Kaito and Michi run into each other. They're primed to have, like, a very dramatic fight, unlike some some overhead passes. And they start the fight, and they're uh, throwing some punches, Uh, but that's all we see for this episode. At the start of it, Michi says, What was it you said? That next time we fight, you'll put me down yourself? And Kaito sneers and says, Yep. And now that there's nobody around to stop me, I'm going to gladly do that. And the the deal with the fight, the the thing that's made clear, and will maybe be made more clear the next episode, is that Michi's plan for fights now is to just not bother dodging and soak attacks and just take hits, which works pretty well with Kota, because Kota just can't kill Michi. And Kaito, <laughs> he's doing as well as he can. But he is kind of, like, dying. Like, I'm not sure how conscious of a choice it was by the suit actor. Like, maybe I'm reading into it. But he's mostly fighting with one arm. And when your main weapon is a bow, that really limits your options. 
I think it was a very conscious choice. Like they, you know, they show his arm getting greener and greener all the time. And I've noticed in other fights, like he'll swap weapons to his good hand. He like won't really uh, block or defend or use like his his left arm because, yeah, it's turning into a tree. And it's not it's not conclusive. There's a couple more ads, the fruit gummies and then ganbarizing. But yeah, we could get into the, the dream. So let's talk about this dream. Yeah, it's kind of a flashback alt world like what what the hell is this Harry? it's basically like what would happen if yuya the guy from the very first episode just used the belt instead and kota was the guy who ate a fruit and turned into an invis is this an it's a wonderful life i don't know i the end effect here is that rosho is kind of trying to put the thing to him and like she's in the space a little bit like she's in there and communicating and when kota at the end kind of breaks down and starts attacking her it kind of affects the real world so i think it's like i mean these fruits can go between realities so it may be like a pocket dimension that like if he accepted it maybe real things would happen it's mostly just a thing of putting it to kota like hey you know you're just sacrificing yourself for people maybe for once in your life you should do a thing to save yourself but as my back of the real world says like have you even met kota like i know what his choice is going to be here He's just going to do the exact same thing he's been doing for the entire series. It His one note, like he always chooses to sacrifice himself for other people. Like he doesn't often do it efficiently. He doesn't often do it well, but that is always the choice he's going to make. <coughs> There's only the faintest lip service put to the to him having stuff he actually wants to do. Like he he'd already quit Team Gaim in the in the first episode. He joined the team a little bit. For the Invest games, when, like, for the one episode when he was maybe slightly going too far, but not even really, because he was he was still in the Invest games only going defensively. Like, they, they even, they didn't even go as far to be, like, in the sport everyone has agreed to, he's not pushing forward and attacking dudes. They wouldn't even have him do that. And then he kind of liked being a team guy, but, like, is sacrificing everything in his life, and he has nothing in his life to sacrifice. I mean, I would choose to sacrifice his life, too, if I had it. <laughs> Yeah, like, like it's it's not much of a sacrifice, but yeah. So we see we see Kota slowly turning into a monster. Like his arm has gone completely, like you know, bladey, and uh, his blonde friend from the first episode who died is there and is turning into a common rider and fighting him. And Greeny is there encouraging him to fight back. And of course, he's not going to. He's never. He was never going to be tempted by this. There. Kind of stealing some bits from Kuga, the show that you didn't like, but I I and a lot of other people do. Because a lot of that show is about him, like the how violence damages even the person doing it, and it, they have to give up all on their life. And, and Kuga, like the main character, he's got friends, he has goals, he wants to go out and help people, he wants to like, travel, see things, he, he has things he wants in his life, so when he has to sacrifice and... When he loses more of himself to the fight, it really hits you. And all of his friends that have been around the whole, him the whole time are really beat up when he's, like, killing himself uh, to to go on into this fight. But Kota, this is all he does. He's just a fight dude. And he doesn't even enjoy... It'd be one thing if he, like, really enjoyed fighting. But he, he doesn't even seem to be having fun. <sighs> you know how science just came out and, like, put out that thing about how a lot of humanity has no internal monologue? That that's Coda. There is no subtext there. It is not but text. There's some good imagery and stuff, and it's sad because there's a final moment. Okay, 
so he turned into a monster dude, but then he breaks back out and he's defending Yuya, who who is the same actor from the start of the series because they brought him back. Because also in the movie that's around now, Yuya also comes back, but he's secretly the evil dude in that one. So whatever. He's defending Yuya and he breaks out and Rusho has to run away and he's just kind of left in the, the gravel. He's just standing there, exhausted, sweat pouring on of, off of him. And suddenly vines shoot out from him. Like, it's clear that he's mostly alien now. He's a source of the infection. And the actor really sells it. And I feel bad, because, like, the writing is just not up to par. Like, it's not worth it, the writing. So, episode is over. Kota, hey, surprise, has turned, uh, has chosen to save humanity and not rule it. What is this the actual choice, Harry? Was that the actual moment where he made that choice? Or is he going to get to make that choice again in a couple episodes? Kota's choices for the remainder of the series are... Mm. Bad? Yeah. All right. We'll get into it, but uh, let's let's just close out Gaim for this. Uh, no, Harry, we're, we're done. We're done talking about Gaim we're, for We're this done week. with Gaim for now. So, as a third segment this week... Are, are you ready for me to go back in? Yes, I am ready. So, as a third segment this week, I kind of decided that me and Sam are going to talk about a series that we have both already seen in full. It is, in fact, the first Kamen Rider series I or Sam ever watched. Oh, it was your first, too. Yep. It was the first oh. one I watched in full. Yeah, Kamen Rider O's. It's a really good series. It it has a weird middle because it was coming out at the same time as Parts Antigo Kaiger, and right as its plot was kind of kicking into high gear was when the earthquake happened, and because of what O's was doing... It, so the story of O's is... I mean, there's stuff going on with... Like, an ancient... There's, like, ancient monsters, greeds, that are, like, feeding off of human desires and emotions. But the main character is really interesting in that show because he covers a lot of the bases Kota is trying to, but so much better. Yeah, like, he's... So, Kamen Rider... Kamen Rider owes Harry, what's the main character's name? I've, of course, forgotten literally every name from that series. Uh, Edgy? I think it's Edgy. Edgy. He's kind of a, like... You kind of are introduced to him as a blank slate, like he's just this guy who wanders around. But what you realize over the course of the series is like, you know, he's he's kind of escaping some trauma and he's just trying to lead a a harmless, happy life, exploring and just seeing the world and just being nice to people. I think he has what is a good portrayal of PTSD, which is like. People think he's just this guy who doesn't seem attached to stuff and is just kind of drifting through life. But you learn his whole story is that he came from uh, he he came from uh, money. You know, he grew up rich. And when he went down into the world, he decided, hey, I'm going to try to help things in the Middle East. Like, I'm going to find a community. I'm going to build it up, like invest and make things better. And it's a war turn region. So I'm going to try to solve things. It doesn't go great. Yeah. Like he tried to fix the Middle East in terms of war and instead like, he saw everything he had invested in, everything, everyone he'd tried to save, like, die around him. Basically, terrorists or some, some militant group just rolled in, like, destroyed everything and took him hostage because he was rich and he was ransomed off just because of that. And he just arrived at home, had he put everything he could into saving people, and it, like, came to nothing. And so he just wanders the world like a penniless, not not beggar, just like, you know, a wanderer. He has one he has one set of underwear that he washes religiously. I love that about him. And he comes off as a real pushover and stuff. Like in the first episode, like so the greeds, when they break out, there's like five of them, but one of them, like they they were born like thousands of years ago. It's it's funny because when they first show up, 
uh, Eiji says to one of them, all right, explain the backstory. And Ankh immediately starts saying the whole backstory really fast. And Eiji's like, wait, no, stop. That That's actually not relevant right now. I, I don't care. <laughs> so they're thousands of years old. They were made by like a king to get superpowers and conquer the world. Uh, one of them betrayed the rest of the greeds to work with the king and stuff. And so when he comes back out, he needs to find, like, they're made of these, like, power things. And he's lost a bunch of his. So he's weak. He has this belt that the king used to get powers. So he needs to find somebody to slap it on who's, like, like an easy mark. Like, someone who will fight for him and go over and take on the task of fighting the other greeds. Because it's basically a suicide mission. It's, I love their partnership. He wanders around and... Edgy is there. I think he was like a single coin was rolling under like a, a vending machine. He was trying to get it because like, hey, that's lunch. He sees there's this chance to put on the belt and like save some people. It's like, I want to do this and it's fine. Ankh is like, all right, yeah, I got this guy. But the next episode, so Ankh kind of tries to strong arm him and saying like, all right, so here's the deal. I know how this stuff works. I need, I got these metal things that you can get from the monsters. We're going to find out ways to do this. And like, you're going to do what I say. And he turns around and Edgy is like sitting on a bridge holding the driver that only he can use off the side of it and saying, like, oh, I'm about to drop it. Like, oh, like, <laughs> man, Ankh, I feel like you're trying to say how things are working, but if I drop this, then, you know, you'll kill me, but then you're doomed forever. And like, oh, man, should I drop this? I don't know. Maybe we need to renegotiate. <laughs> and Ankh is like, I picked the wrong fucking person. <laughs> and it just, it goes from there. Like, I, I love the characters of the series. I love the characterization. Like, especially the main character, like, you can have a fairly blank main character or blank seeming main character, like, but there has to actually be something there, something compelling about the character. I also <laughs> kind of, kind of shades of uh, Aruto again, but man, NG and like his sidekick. Oh, yeah, they're a romantic couple. <laughs> oh yeah, like they get like a pretty regular job working at this restaurant, and they just live in the back room, and they basically have bunk beds where. Ankh is on the top because he's a weird bird monster guy. Uh, also, he's possessing, like, this hot cop guy. Anyway. <laughs> uh, and, like, there's just lots of edgy, like, lounging around, smiling at Ankh because they're, like, in their bedroom in various states of undress. Like, because edgy is watching his one state of underpants. And, like, this is, like, the... I think it's the most gay Kamen Rider has gotten, which is saying something. Uh, is it... Is it more gay than Kamen Rider Double Harry? Like, I'm not sure there's ever a scene in Kamen Rider O's where they're, like, feeding each other cotton candy with locked arms. I'd say it's more loving. Like, it's very clearly the relationship they have. But in O's, it's more specifically homosexual. Fair enough. Fair enough. It's hotter. It's steamier. And it's a good show. Like, it's got it's uh, got a middle where, like, they were changing stuff around and they needed to figure out the plot. But I really like where it ended because by the end of it, stop me if you've heard some of this in recent series... It turns out that there's a secret set of power things that can give you super extra power, but, like, also slowly start turning you into one of the greeds, one of the monsters. Mm -hmm. All of the greeds, they're around desires and stuff they want. Like, it turns out that the greeds can barely feel or taste or understand anything, so they're actually just seeking. They're, they were intentionally created to be broken, incomplete beings by the king, because he's a shithead, who are striving for more, like... They want to consume the world because they're they will never not be hungry, and like these secret medals are basically based on despair or people who want to like Edgy, like he was able to resist what like killed the king guy because he doesn't want as much in the world, but the secret power coins they like kind of work more on despair and wanting nothingness and <laughs> that works a bit more in Edgy, 
And by the end of the series, he's like getting more powerful because of things. But everyone around him is like, all right, your self-sacrificing is kind of getting out of hand. And there's like an episode where they just sit him down and be like, we got to get something in your life that you that would make you happy. You know, like anything. Do you, do you want to date the female lead? No, this is there's no <laughs> chemistry here. Nope, none whatsoever. Like she's throwing herself the entire series, but nope, bouncing right off him. Yeah, one of the one of the characters like opens up his wallet and is like, "Can I just give you some money? Could it help?" And it's like, "I was I was raised rich. Money doesn't really matter to me, you know." And the thing that pulls him out is that Ankh, the the being of selfishness, the whole series, Ankh has been pulled back and forth. And, like they kind of had a respect, and by the end, Ankh has like lost everything, and he's the one who decides to pull Ag back and like kind of has this final thing because he's made of the power coins. He sacrifices himself. So that Ag can use those instead of the despair things to save the world, and it's it's beautiful. Was this was this before or at, this was before Gaim, right? Oh yeah, it was like three or four series before Gaim. Yeah, the order was double O's fours, which is fun, but like not much much to talk about. Uh, yeah, by the way, like uh, so double clearly two, four clearly four, and O's is three. Like I I guess they kind of got away from the two, three, four, five thing uh, with the series after that. A common rider wizard, his motif on his belt is like a hand, which has five fingers. Yeah, okay, so they didn't. But then after that was Gaim, and Gaim is at like six based, so whatever. So yeah, yeah it was three years before Gaim. And it's just... It's better. <laughs> it's better in pretty much every way. It's better in specifically the things that Gaim is going for. Yeah, yeah, the themes they're trying to get, like the stories they're trying to tell. It does it with just a much more deft... Yeah, it's just... It's better. What what does Gaim do better? Like, does Gaim have like better action, better fighting, or is it the same people? Like, I'd say some the fighting is pretty good in Gaim. Like the choreography, some of the music is pretty good. Although that's mostly just like the one song that I really like. It's it's got good actors. Yeah, but I mean, it's not like it's not better. I'd say I I think maybe the fighting is the one thing you could say is better than an O's. Although, because you like the characters and O's more than, like, that's that's the secret trick. Like, honestly, Sam, I think a lot of the fighting in Toku is pretty bad. But when you like the action of the show and the characters, then you're fine with it. It just needs to be flashy, and then your brain is like, yeah, I'm having fun. It's never John Wick, where it's, you know, choreographed specifically very intentionally and, like, very technical and stuff. No, it's just, like, dudes moving around. But if you like the people and what's going on, then... Yeah, kind of to close. O's is great. Like, if... If you're listening to us talk about Gaim, and you're like, hey, maybe I should watch Gaim. No, you should watch O's first. I cannot recommend watching Kamen Rider Gaim. Like, uh, that's that's one of the things I'm coming out of this whole Reach Watch thing. Like, I, I watched most of Gaim the first time, and I stopped, and we eventually came onto the show, and I was like, eh, I shouldn't rewatch it, you know. And we'll, we'll cover it on the show, and we've done it live, and, like, I was hopeful for a while. But I'm just not liking Gaim. And so, rather than let us languish in our suffering... I've decided to speed up the ticking of the clock, so to speak, and for the next couple episodes, we're going to be covering three episodes of Gaim. So are we going to get done in two episodes, Harry? Eh, eh, not a, mostly, basically, kind of. Episode oh. 40, I've been hinting at a while, episode 47 is kind of its own thing, so like, don't forget about that for a while. So next episode, we're going to be doing 41, 42, 43, then after that, 44, 45, 46, and that's basically the end of Gaim. We'll cover 47 on its own separate in an episode. I see. I see. Is that just going to be a single episode where we just do like uh, 47? Hey, that could be our buffer episode. We could we could watch like a uh, 43 or 
44, 45, 46, do that episode. And then to get back our buffer episode, we could just do a quick one about 47. Yeah, maybe. I mean, well, the problem is we're doing like zero one, which is the, the the problem with doing a buffer is that we're doing zero one. So like if we're keeping it current, then I don't know. It's it's something to think about. That's true. Damn request for being current and relevant. We have a small number of listeners. So this is the thing you could definitely chime in and like, hey, are you keeping current with the shows? Like, how important is it that we record and like you hear what we're talking about right after it happens? Or like, is there is there flexibility there? If it's delayed by a week or you're just watching it along with us too, then it won't really matter. Or e- either way is fine. There's something to chime in. Because uh, I know we got we got Nade and Daniel K and probably some other people. And let us know. But for now, we are going to finish up. Our, well, not not completely. We're, we're going to... So, Kamen Rider Zero One, episode 24, hopefully it's still good. Maybe, maybe it's got some of the silly energy. But then Kamen Rider Gaim, 41 through 43... Uh, I'm just going to go through our cheat sheet, Sam, and count how many people are about to die. Yay! Uh, I think, like, four. Four major deaths. Nice. It's really starting to speed up. Uh, as we, and add, when we finish next episode, Sam, we will know who the fucking final boss of the series is, other than the writers. <laughs> uh, everyone keep dancing. Keep dancing. It's the one thing they can't take from us. Keep dancing. Keep dancing.